Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Today's show marks episode 200 of the Smart Home Show. And while only the last 40 of those episodes were done by Richard and I, we're actually coming up on three years of hosting this show. Speaking for myself and Richard, we really enjoyed doing this show and appreciate all of you for listening. We couldn't think of a better way to celebrate this milestone than by bringing back Mike Wolf, the original host of the show. Richard and I sat down with Mike to talk about the recent Apple event and then decided to look back on what all has changed in the smart home space over the course of those 200 episodes. It was a fun conversation and a great chance to catch up with Mike. I hope you enjoy it. Hey everyone, I'm Richard Gunther from the Digital Media Zone, and I'm joined as usual by my co-host Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Hey Adam. Hey Richard, how are you? I am doing well. Still not at home, still renting a place and living alone here. It's kind of weird. It's been going on for too long, but I don't want to go on for too long about that. Let's instead welcome back this show's creator, Mike Wolf, for our 200th episode of The Smart Home Show. Hey, Mike. Hey, how's it going? It is going well. We are so, so happy to have you here. When we were looking at this number coming up, I'm thinking, okay, well, no way we're doing this without Mike. We got to have Mike here for this. So I'm glad you were able to make this work for your schedule. And, you know, I I think that there's a bunch of fun stuff to talk about. Apple just had their spring-loaded event and a bunch of stuff happened there. And I thought it'd be nice to kind of look back at what the industry, the smart home space, looked like when you started this show Versus kind of where we are now and how we got there. Just have some reflection there. Tell some stories. Exactly. All right. Well, before we do that, this is usually the point where Adam and I have a question for each other. And Adam, what do you got for me this week? Sure. So my question for you, Richard, was uh, what's your current favorite gadget that you use in everyday life? I'm going to assume that we have to kind of take the obvious, like, my iPhone or something like that off the table because that's that's probably just too obvious. That's more like what gadget do I use every 10 minutes, right? Yeah. I'm a little bit conflicted by this and I'm not going too far from that actually. I, I, I think it's one of two things probably. I would say it's either my tablet which I use all the time. There are people who just don't understand the utility of a tablet and I am so not one of those people. I, my tablet, I use it as a reader. I use it as a reference device. I use it as a second screen. I use it as a second entertainment device while I'm watching television. It's my newspaper in the morning. I mean, there's just so much utility there. But I'm not going to pick that. I am going to pick my Apple Watch. I am a serious watch person. And I have... A bunch of different watches. I've always worn a watch as long as I can remember. And much 
to my partner's chagrin, I have some really, really nice watches that he's bought me and I've acquired over my life. But I wear my Apple Watch every single day because it helps me be more aware of my health regimen, what little health regimen I do. I mentioned in a previous episode, all I really do is walk. That's the only exercise I get, but it kind of keeps me motivated there. I like that I can keep notified about things that are important to me and I can filter that down to just get the noise out. This has turned out to be a far more useful device than I ever thought. And I've already replaced this twice since my original. I didn't really think I would buy a second one until they figured out how to make it thinner. They have never figured out how to make it thinner, but I've still bought two new generations of it. So I love this thing. Do you have have the cellular capability on it? Uh, Yeah, I do not. That's just something that I've never really cared that much about. I'm not ever very far from my phone. I do. And um, it comes in handy every once in a while. It's not you know, super expensive to have it on there. The time it's most come in handy is in a theme park when I think my phone was probably with my wife in a stroller or something and to be able to still communicate, you know, nice for the beach or swimming or something like that. But the cellular on it, it's not great. So I had a smartwatch early on. I had like the original Pebble. I ordered the Pebble too, and then they didn't deliver. They went out of business essentially. And I thought if I ever went back out an Apple Watch, I'd want the cellular only because it would untether me from the phone. Like I'm, I'm walking or exercising at, a, at an amusement park. Like I think like and con- quite honestly, we're techies like that's the true Dick Tracy watch. Right. That is the Dick Tracy <laughs> watch that I always wanted. But it's kind of expensive. So I haven't gone down the path of getting a smart an Apple smart watch, much like the reason I kind of gave up on my iPads. Like my iPad broke. I'm like. Oh, did the price of iPads like what? Five or six hundred dollars to get a decent one now. Maybe it might be. Am I sounding cheap in my old age? <laughs> You should hop back in, in both categories, but yeah. Yeah. My go-to, I'll say my favorite gadget, and I'm actually going to attribute this one to our guest, Mike, is my Ember mug. Um, I found out about this at after hearing the, the founder speak at Mike's conference, and I'm a tea drinker, but I was... I used to use these mugs that I don't remember the brand name, but they're very good at their job of keeping things hot, but they would keep them too hot. So I would often like take the lid off, but you'd never get to like the right temperature. And I'm not like a fast tea drinker. I'll do it over the course of a number of hours. So that was just like a instant win for me. And so on board, I have two of them. I took it on vacation with me. Like, wow, I love the thing. Actually, my Gen 1 just died, and the company gave me a replacement Gen 2 for like 80 bucks. Their customer service was phenomenal. I'm like, I'm all in. So, yeah, I'm a big advocate for that one. So, thanks, Mike. Does it have to be like a gadget, like something you, a personal gadget or a smart home gadget? Something electronic. What's your favorite electronic (laughs) thing? We'll talk about it now. Just the, my new infatuation is I just installed a Mo and Flow. This house we have, this, this and we can talk about rental property, smart home. But I've just never had a smart water device, so it's, I've just been like every day checking. Oh, this is what was used with the toilet flushing. <laughs> or this is what's been used with the shower. So I've always, I always felt like even way back when we started the show, there wasn't a lot of anything around water. So I, I just think using technology to monitor my water has just been kind of like my latest thing I've been paying attention to. I like that. I have been 
tempted by that. And a friend of mine has written up a review of his experience installing and using it that I still need to edit and get posted at the Digital Media Zone. So uh, we'll have more information on that coming soon. Well, thank you. Uh, And if you want to submit a question for us to open the show, you can send us a question with the hashtag AskAdamAndRichard. As Richard mentioned in the opening, Apple had their first event of 2021 earlier this week, or maybe it'll be last week by the time you hear this. But uh, regardless, it was called the Spring Loaded event, and uh, it was pretty well loaded with uh, some new tech. Um, so we figured we'd, we'd chat a little bit about it, a couple of the smart home angles in it, and uh, and go from there. So... The first one up, I guess somewhat related, you're listening to this in a podcast. Uh, It was around uh, podcast subscriptions. So they now have a paid model that's going to be built into the podcast app for content creators to offer premium content, usual 70-30 split of all Apple stuff. What did you guys think of this? And is it something that piques your interest either as a user or a podcaster? I mean, I've been following creator economy platforms for like more than a decade I was watching as Patreon launched in like 2012. I talked to Jack Conti, the the founder there. Then I watched Tom Merritt, which you guys may know. And I think you're, you're a friend yep. of Richard. Basically yep. used that. And, and you saw all sorts of weird kind of ways in which people were trying to monetize podcasts through like apps. You know, Mark Marin had his own basically app where he would monetize. Uh, it's been gratifying to watch how the, the creator economy has really matured over the past five years. It's getting venture interest. I think Apple is always kind of late to the game, but like if Apple monetizes around its platform and allows people to monetize off it, great because they're so dominant and everyone's so plugged into the Apple ecosystem. And I, even though I think the, the the center of gravity around the podcast universe has moved a little bit away from Apple to certain degrees, you know, Spotify has rose up, etc. I still think Apple is important, so I'm glad that they're creating a compensation model and a way for podcasters to get money. Yeah, I think I'm okay with this, and I guess part of the reason why I'm not more excited is that it does seem late. And I hope that in coming in late in the space, they do what they usually would do, which is to do it better than the other providers out there. So let's see if that's the case. At this point, it kind of sounds like a late me too. And can I just say how annoyed I am that they've reappropriated the term subscription to mean paid in the context of podcasts that just really bugs me for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I think they needed a clear way to uh, delineate between paid and unpaid. Uh, I think they use follow for the, for the other one. I don't know. It's, it's a little weird, but I don't know what you would have done. That would have been better. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. Just kind of bugged me. I mean, people think subscribe to my podcast. People say that all the time at the end of their show. And that has new meaning now. And I think it's going to be confusing for people. Yeah, it's like Apple has been the best friend of the podcast world for 20 years in the sense that like they were really the only thing that kept alive in those early RSS days. Yet they haven't even really cared that much about it. (laughs) But just by virtue of the fact they paid attention to a certain degree, had you know, podcast on i you know iTunes, etc. You could listen to them on your iPhone in the two thousand and ten two thousands. That was really important just to keep the industry alive. But mm-hmm. they always seem to be a little bit clumsy, and it's a lot of things are almost an afterthought for them. 
I remember, I mean, you want to talk way back, like I remember downloading my podcasts, you know, that era was when I first started working. And so I would be on the road traveling uh, and I'd have plane rides. So like one part of my Thursday activities was downloading my podcasts and loading them on my iPod so I could listen to them on the plane. Oh, yeah, totally. Yep. And gosh, I hated that iTunes sync. Like it was so clumsy. I mean, we can get into the complaint about just Apple software. Like I think it's gotten better, but like it was really, I thought iTunes was always pretty bad. Yeah. What do you guys think about 30%? Does that feel like too much? I have never had a problem with that. I, I That's another one where I just kind of want to say, shut up, stop whining, and enjoy the fact that someone gave you a platform to let you make money. You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. 30% isn't much. And, you know, 70% of nothing is still zero. 7% of something, <laughs> 70% of something is more than that. So I think podcasters should take it. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, like you said, Mike, Apple's been so dominant in this space and they've done little to nothing. So anything they're doing here is going to, you know, continue to be an investment in this. And if they're making money in the podcast app, it also gives them more reason to do things. Um, You know, they're all about services now. So, you know, this makes sense. Uh, The next announcement was uh, they announced a purple iPhone 12. My wife, who uh, we often refer to as a purple person, um, was weeping because she would love this, but she already has an iPhone 12 Pro. But yeah, looks nice. Couldn't do any phone shifting in your family to make that happen? Yeah, no. Well, it would be a a downgrade. She has a Pro now. She wouldn't want to do that. Well, but I think they're going to have it in all models if i remember correctly i think it's it's just the 12 it's not the 12 pro hmm okay i i missed that somehow but okay yeah i'm i don't care i mean it's nice <laughs> some some people might like that and you know smart home okay i can use it to control my smart home i can use my black one too yeah exactly the other one was the long rumored finally true i feel like this is apple's worst kept secret of air tags like it's shown up in beta builds like we've known it existed for a long time so nice for, to actually see the light of it richard mentioned yeah tiles already threatening antitrust so maybe doesn't help apple's antitrust angle here but i think they look great uh, i actually think the big difference from a tile is that it uses the u1 chip which is the ultra wideband radio um, that's been in phone since 2019, and we have had little to nothing to do with it. Now we finally have something to do with it, and so it gives you more precise location. And you know, to me, what I'm what I'm still waiting to find out is is there a presence detection angle to this? So, if anything is opened up related to AirTags in the Home or Shortcuts app, that we can trigger off being in close proximity to an AirTag. I think there would be an interesting angle to this, but I think we'll just have to wait and see once those ship, I believe, next week by the 30th of April. Yeah. Mike, do you remember when we all thought beacons might be the great way to understand microlocation and nothing ever really became of that? <laughs> yeah, it was hot for like a year or two and it, it just never really went anywhere. There's a couple also like Bluetooth smart home platforms. Do you guys remember those? Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm trying to remember some of the names of them, but they never went anywhere. And, and uh, Bluetooth for a while, about a year, trying to make a run at like if competing with Wi-Fi. 
we're kind of getting into the history of this stuff, but uh, that never went anywhere either. I think this is cool. And I think it could be really interesting if they do figure out how to make these available to HomeKit so that based on one of these being in a particular room or based on, you know, even proximity to a device or something, it may be able to control it. Or maybe when you bring up your home app, by default, it would open to the room that you're in or something along those lines. I I think there's some really interesting possibilities there. I guess one of the things that I'm curious about, and I didn't catch this even though I did watch the event, was how are these things powered? Is this like tile where in the first generation you basically threw it out after a year and bought a new one? Or are these battery powered and they can be replaced? Or do you throw them on your Qi charger or what? It is a replaceable uh, CR, I don't remember which one, CR coin battery. Okay. So probably like, I think like a 2032 or something along those lines. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a nice change. If you would have asked me before this event, I would have guessed that it would have been a non-user replaceable. But uh, yeah, so it lasts about a year and then uh, it's easy to replace. It's also... um, water resistant so i think uh it'll be a handy handy thing to have and i'm interested to play around and yes 2032 coin battery i would have loved to see something that was chi charger or you know contact charging you could even reuse potentially the watch charger if it were roughly the same size or something like that i think that i imagine the technology is not small enough to pull that off, but who knows? Who knows? Did they have a bunch of different sizes? No, one size only and only one. Yeah. It's basically quarter size, roughly thickness, but yeah, I don't, I think it'll be interesting and maybe they'll do different shapes and kind of types later. That's, you know, that's sort of what, what tile went through. Eventually they started doing other form factors. It'll probably just depend on how, how well it does and there's a bunch of accessories for it already different tags or you know bag tags or keychains and things like that so i think the other big strength is that because it uses all iphones as its like detection network that's going to give it a huge advantage over tile because tile's detection network only relied on other tile users and also in my opinion it, it trashed the life of my the battery life of my devices that had it on it. So eventually I took the tile app off all my stuff. (laughs) Makes the tiles less useful. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I kind of, eventually they all ran out of battery and I stopped replacing them. So, you know, with this coming, I knew this was where I would want to go. So yeah. And it comes in two, uh, either a one pack for $29 or a four pack for $99. I'm, I'm definitely in for four, see how it works out. And uh, and go from there. Yep. Next one was a new M1 powered 21 inch iMac, very flat and thin, and uh, finally bringing back colors to the iMac. It's been a minute. Colors. This is such a gorgeous device. It is absolutely beautiful. I was just stunned by this. I, I expected that we would see would see a new iMac. It didn't occur to me that it would look like a big tablet on a stand. 
by the way, stand included. You don't have to pay $1,000 extra for that. <laughs> Although it doesn't move up and down. So, you know, oh, you get a stand, true. but it's limited. That's true. But no, I, I, I think these are amazing. I was really disappointed, though. I was so, and I heard someone else talk about this, too. I was so waiting for them to say, and you can just reach out and touch it. But no, not yet. No, they haven't gotten there yet. I like everything that's happening here. The other one, I guess, to mention, Touch ID and the keyboard. Boy, you know, I was asking for that for a long time. And uh, I've moved to the the uh, VESA-mounted life. And so my uh, laptop, which I usually have beside my screen, is up on a stand. And so then I have to reach up awkwardly and, and do the thing. So I'm all in for that when the time comes. I would say I'm ready for maybe the 27-inch version of this and where they go with that. I think they've laid some groundwork to maybe let that be an iMac Pro at 27-inch, and they'll delineate those models differently. We'll see. I'm super excited about everything going on with M1s in Macs. Even though I have a fairly new Intel Mac, I will probably be a a replacement when something that meets my needs uh, comes up here. So yeah, I I like the direction and uh, it coming in the color purple, you know, I think at some point will also cost me money because my wife is going to want a purple computer. I also think they make a pretty good case that as more and more people are turning to streaming as their primary source of entertainment and not even really sitting in front of a television in a family room anymore, that this makes like a decent video consumption device too. You know, um, if you have this in a multi-purpose space, it can act as your TV. It can act as your computer. I think there's a lot of flexibility with this. I just love it. I'm very impressed. I think they did a great job. If if I were still in the iMac area, like I I ended up moving to the mini, but if I hadn't been sucked in by the concept of my ultra wide screen that I now can't give up, I would probably be all over this. So they didn't announce anything new on Mac minis. They're just going to sit for a year on those again. Can you believe this? Well, I mean, the Mac mini is an M1. They do have an M1 version of it from the original M1 announcement. So you can get their silicon version of the Mac mini now. Because that's where I'm going to, when I, I mean, I've just been buying Mac laptop after Mac laptop, and I think I'm just going to get a Mac mini next because you get more bang for your buck. I do most of my consumption through a big monitor anyway, and just add some memory. I've I've had Mac minis before, and I've always loved them. Yeah, they're great. And the M1 Mac mini is actually cheaper than the old Mac mini. I'm waiting for, you know, I would guess the next thing that's going to, all the remaining Macs require some more graphics power, even probably that 27-inch one. So I'm guessing that's sort of what the next phase for uh, MacBook Pros and, uh, you know, the 27-inch iMac, even iMac, you know, if they do um, another Mac Pro, there's a rumor of a mini Mac Pro kind of thing. That's all what uh, gets me excited. That's what will will extract money from me in the in that category. Speaking of Apple extracting money from me, um, they also announced a M1-powered iPad. And this is going to be my first M1 device because I am very in for this. And as silly as it sounds, 
the uh, my biggest concern was that it would work with the existing smart keyboard, which I already have and have adorned with all my favorite stickers and uh, didn't want to have to replace that, A, because it's very expensive and I don't have all replacement stickers, so want to do that. But I loved everything about this this new device. Yeah, um, this is the thing I'm going to have to buy. <laughs> and it's about that time. I'm about two and a half years into my iPad, and that's usually been about my replacement cycle. Speaking of minis, no love for the iPad mini, none at all. They're still charging a ridiculous $500 for the lowest end iPad mini that you can buy. It's ridiculous. I think there were some rumors that they're they're working on that, but I think this looks like a phenomenal device. So yeah, I'm I'm in uh I'm team 12.9 iPad and uh I'm ready for tubing. It's <laughs> <laughs> I actually use my iPad now um I'm a work from home guy now in the pandemic, but I do go into the office occasionally and rather than at all mess with my normal setup. I just work from my iPad when I go into the office. It helps with that. Uh, the last big one announcement from Apple was uh, finally a new Apple TV 4K. Um, so 4K and HD models. And most importantly, which I know Richard was very excited, they finally fixed the garbage remote and built a new remote. Yeah, finally. I- I'm sure they had so much so much feedback on that remote. It was so bad for so many reasons. And it looks like they've finally got it right. I guess we'll see when we get our hands on it. But you can buy the remote separately, so that's good. Of course, the remote itself is $60, which is even more than a Chromecast with Google TV. But still, I want one. I got to have one. And I will probably upgrade my Apple TV itself even though I don't really need to. I don't plan on streaming 60 frame per second Dolby Vision video to my TV over AirPlay, but still, it's cool that you could do that. Yeah, I agree with you. They still need to do something on the low end, or maybe they're going to just let, you know, with their streaming TV service, which is phenomenal, by the way, and everybody should check it out, at least to watch Ted Lasso. Yes. I don't know. I I want to disagree with... I've been pretty disappointed with the apple tv streaming service i mean compared to like have you watched ted lasso i watched Ted lasso in a week okay now what's next that's the thing with like netflix or even like amazon like there's always a a bountiful amount of content with apple it feels like if i want good content i have to pay you have to pay for more i think the free stuff is just not enough that's my feeling it's kind of like hbo max right like hbo max i feel like you kind of you watch a certain amount and then you just kind of run out of content. Wow. I have a wildly differing opinion from you on that, <laughs> on both platforms. <laughs> so, Well, you can't, you can't argue that Netflix has just like 10 necks of the content. Like that's oh, just absolutely. But, you know, they've had a couple years to uh, to build that up. But yeah, almost everything I've watched on the Apple TV streaming service has been good. I haven't. I haven't really run into it, dud. I'm not arguing about the quality. I'm just saying there's not enough of it. Yeah, that'll change over time. It'll be good when we get new seasons. It's going to help. But I mean, you know, I thought Morning Show was fantastic. I thought Ted Lasso was fantastic. I've watched it twice. It, it's But it's the same three shows everyone mentions. It's like Morning Show, 
it's it's Ted Lasso and it's like one or two others. The uh, Mystic Quest or whatever, Mythic Quest, I think, is another amazing show uh, for all mankind. I've really liked. They've had some misses, too. But Are you guys both on Apple TVs your main streamer? Because I've been team Roku. I've been on Roku for a long time, and I, just, I don't think I'll ever move off Roku. Yeah, Apple TV is my primary streaming device. I've tried everything. I have the Rokus, the Amazons. I have the new TiVo stream. I have the Google TV. Google TV comes close, I think. Right. I think Roku's a great UI. Also, I kind of just cheer for Roku. I cheer for Anthony Wood. I just like, why give every dollar to Apple? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah. I think Roku's problem is that all the apps aren't there yet. And it's not just like the high-profile stuff that you hear about in the news. There are apps that just aren't on that platform yet because developing for it is a different endeavor than for all the others. And yeah. All right. The last thing we do have to talk about that was on board with this new Apple TV is Thread. So, you know, we're going to talk more about some historical stuff, but, you know, this probably came up in your tenure of uh, when you were still hosting the show. Mike, Thread's like finally becoming a thing. You know, we were all excited about it, what, six, seven years ago when, when Nest got off the ground. It's like, it's finally here. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting to see Thread finally get there. Like, it's been so long. Um, it's one of those things that's been in slow motion. So it is exciting to see Apple bring that on board. Yeah, they've been like slowly sneaking it into devices. You know, this is uh, the the HomePod Mini also had Thread on board. And, uh, you know, we're starting to see some manufacturers like Nanoleaf, you know, really go all in on on thread. So, you know, it's clear that that's a part of their future plans. Uh, you know, thread is big in the in the connected home over IP protocol. And uh, so this feels like groundwork for things to come. Mike, you were talking about Bluetooth trying to make a big play for the smart home and how it hadn't really picked up. And I think a lot of folks thought that, well, you know, maybe Apple HomeKit is the way that that's going to move forward. Yet, I think we learned through either the chip update that came out recently or the announcement from Apple that they're kind of dialing back on Bluetooth for basic device communication. Do I have... Did I hear that right, or did I read that right? Uh, I haven't heard that specifically called out, but um, you know, I think one of the one of the issues, I guess, one of the strengths of Thread over Bluetooth is it does have, I guess, more of that IP based communication, kind of completes the loop more, as opposed to Bluetooth, which is a lot more kind of just shouting out into the world and, and not as, you know, much of a connected protocol. So, you know, I think as these things are getting more complex, they have greater technical needs. And so, you know, these things are, are changing. So I think, you know, there's still going to be a space for Bluetooth. Certainly it powers a lot of the, uh, you know, headphones and stuff like that. Even the AirTag that uses ultra wideband, I believe also has Bluetooth as a part of its mix. So it definitely has its place, but, you know, it may not be for everything. All right. So we're going to take a quick break for any sponsors we might have, and we'll return with some more smart home discussion. Everyone says that starting a podcast is easy, but let me tell you, making a podcast 
is hard work. That's where today's sponsor, Lightning Pod, comes in. If you have a podcast or you want to start one, then you should check them out. They can help you with every step of the podcast production process. We've been working with Lightning Pod founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. Eric currently helps us with editing and copywriting, but he's also available to help your podcast with recording, monetization, website design, and more. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. All experience levels are welcome. So whether you're a veteran podcaster or a total newbie, you should check them out. That's lightningpod.fm. Okay, so Mike, while you're here, I thought it would be fun to kind of take a look back down memory lane, take a look behind us, see what things looked like when you started the Smart Home Show. Now, I couldn't find all the archives of old episodes, but based on a little bit of detection from when you and I first connected, I think you were roughly about 10 or so episodes into your show when I reached out to you mid-2014. So I'm estimating that you probably started this show in early 2014 or late 2013. Does that sound about right? I think that's right, yeah. And roughly around that time, the market was largely only pretty big players. And big players then and really still big players now. It was Nest, which was kind of new to the scene. They're the company that taught everybody that $250 is a perfectly reasonable price to pay for a thermostat. And Philips Hue, which is pretty much still the lead in color and controllable lighting. August Lock and Ring and Sonos. All of those products were out there, and those were kind of the big names, as well as a lot of little startups that were trying their own thing as well. And then the year that this started, big stuff happened. Like there was just, it was like there was this explosion of stuff that occurred in 2014. Yeah, I did a little bit of research and was looking at all the different things that occurred. The, the Echo was first released. Apple announced HomeKit. You had smart things kind of coming out of just being this measly little startup to something serious. And then Staples got into the game. You had the Revolve Hub. You have had the Wink Hub come out. You had this convoluted system that Best Buy glommed onto called Peak. You had just this mass conversion of everybody coming out with a system. I think you've called this a land grab in the past where everybody wanted to get some skin in the game. Yeah. Well, you know, you know how this happens, right? You know, these guys hear that Michael Wolf started a podcast in this space and they're like, it's time. It's time. We got to invest. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the, the, I guess the big boom that I think a lot of people started paying attention to was when Google acquired Nest. And that came a little bit later. Um, before that, I think like the Nest thermostat and like this, the big venture funding, uh, was it, was it Tony Fidel? Um, was, was Tony the guy? I'm sorry, yeah. was, From Nest, so yeah. Tony, yeah, so like a, a big Apple guy goes out and starts a, a smart home company. And, and, and you know, this is a world that had things like X10 and a lot of these like really <laughs> antiquated. So if you were kind of look at like smart home 10 years ago, 
it was like really, really low end stuff, like X10. And then you had like the really high end stuff that you see. It's, you know, Cedia. And all the low end stuff was kind of garbage, right? Like it, just kind of generalizing. I don't want to like. Uh, but then you started to see guys like Tony Fidel come in and say, hey, let's let's pay. This is going to be a real thing. The home's going to get smarter. There's going to be intelligence built into it. And all this stuff's going to connect. And this is going to be a, be a bigger market. And so this thing slowly started building momentum. And 2014, as you mentioned, Richard, I think that's when people really started paying attention. I think that's when about the time that Nest got acquired by Google for, I think, $3 billion. I think they had my, my numbers right or so. And that, that was kind of like a a big sonic boom for the market. And then everyone started paying attention. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you had all of this stuff happening roughly around that same time. But with the introduction of all that stuff, there was a lot of bad stuff going on, right? Because you have all of these players coming in. And as you've in the past referred to these different hubs as uh, boxes of radios, (laughs) part of the reason for that was that, there were so many different standards, if you will. And and I mean standard kind of in lowercase because there weren't really any industry standards that were in place yet to try and get everybody pointed in the same direction and figure out how to make these protocols work better together yet. You know, thread was not a thing. Everyone is excited about Apple getting in with HomeKit, right? Like, hey, maybe this stuff can all start to communicate. Apple is going to be our savior. I think Revolve was like the best example of like the box radios. Did they have like seven radios <laughs> I think yep. in, the, in the Revolve hub? I, I don't even think they live long enough to use all the radios. Yeah, I don't think they didn't. Right. I don't think all the radios ever were turned on. No, that's true. And the same was true of the Staples Connect. Staples had at least seven radios in theirs, and they did not turn all of theirs on either. They ended up shutting that down. So that's part of the other problem, right? Between acquisitions and all this confusion, then you had a lot of these initial brands and some, you know, one-off devices, both on the kind of startup side of things. There was this product, you know, you talked about Bluetooth and presence. And so, uh, one product, Zuli, was kind of based on that idea that based on where your phone was, if you were near something, then a light would go on. And that really kind of went nowhere. And then you had big, huge lighting manufacturers like TCP that make lighting for just all kinds of commercial buildings. And you can usually buy TCP bulbs for residential applications as well. And they got in it and got out of it very quickly. They tried it and stumbled and backed away. And that was a standards issue. They packed six low pan for some reason. I don't know who helped them make that decision, but <laughs> but I, we, we ended up seeing what I think was a lot of turmoil, which potentially hurt further progress in the market because consumers were feeling burned. I mean, I think it's, it's just an early market, right? It was really t- smart home 2.0 or maybe whatever you want to call it. It was the new wave and... It was kind of like uh, a lot of people saw opportunity. There wasn't really any dominant standard. And so there's obviously going to be a lot of startup activity. And then Apple, Amazon, and Google all, all were looking at this. And then, like, there's we're talking about a, a lot about, about hubs, but there's a lot of other interesting things. Like, I, I think you used to give me a bad time, Richard, but I was always really into the smart locks and the video doorbells. And the people, at the, it's so funny at the time that people kind of laughed at the video doorbell. Like, why would anyone want a video doorbell? But I, I saw so much utility 
in seeing who's at your door. Like there's such an obvious use case there. And so there was Skybell and then there was Doorbot, which eventually became Ring, which was a much better name. And what was so fun about this market was there were so many strong personalities, right? So Jamie from Ring was such a fierce personality and like seeing him on Shark Tank, then having him on my show, I'm just, I'm like, this guy, this guy is so intense. Yep. Right. Like, and so the personalities are fun to watch. And speaking of personalities, what about, what about Wink? And, and uh, like that whole like interesting company was by, by Ben Kaufman, right? So I think yeah. Wink was a spin out of Ben Kaufman's company, their smart home attempt. And that was just a weird thing, right? So, so much fun. Very strange. And that was frustrating to me too, because Quirky had the partnership with GE. So, you know, once again, this is a big lighting company, General Electric, the lighting company, getting in bed with this little startup kind of incubator for product that ended up launching Wink. You know, they they had technical failures. They made some bad product decisions. I mean, who didn't buy an egg minder, right? But (laughs) we just... You know, you, you just had this strange confluence of problems for them. I, I really feel bad. I think Ben's vision was a good one. And I think they just got hit by uh, a perfect storm of problems, unfortunately. Yeah, I think Ben Kaufman was a potential one of, the, one of the guys that could have been the guys that led this industry if that didn't fail. And you now he's off to starting a new company called Camp, which is kind of experiential retail. But I think he was a big thinker. So I, I saw a lot of potential there. I think Jamie's still in the industry, although I don't know as Amazon kind of gets their claws more and more around Ring and it just becomes subsumed. I'm not sure how much how long he is for the space, but I think he was one of the early and interesting folks. Yeah, absolutely. And I do stay in touch with them periodically. And I don't get the impression that Jamie plans on going anywhere. Uh, I think he is going to continue to extend his chief inventor role deeper into Amazon as they look at Sidewalk and other technologies that are going to power more of the Amazon ecosystem. And then you like Alex Hawkinson, you know, he's, he was the CEO of smart things. I think that was a, one of the quick and early acquisitions. I think, I feel like smart things was a bit of an answer by Samsung to Google buying nest. Mm hmm. But Probably. I still feel like it was a it was a good acquisition. I think they got them fairly cheaply, and so. But he's like a guy who got out of the industry pretty quickly after they got acquired. So yeah, so much acquisition during that time frame. And then, end of 2014, out of nowhere, Amazon announces an and I feel like that kind of was another just big boom that changed everything. Oh, absolutely! It definitely gave another direction for the market to go. It wasn't just about things connecting to each other, it gave another way to control and kind of opened up the market in in a new and different way. It's funny. Our friend Seth Johnson over at Home Tech FM has constantly railed on Amazon for not really having a plan for their assistant platform. I, I don't agree with that. I think they've allowed themselves to think like a lab and try different things. But I think they very clearly have a plan. I I think that as they continue to extend the reach of voice in your home and around your home and in devices, that 
you know, that, that changed the whole industry. Then suddenly Google got into it. Nobody took Siri seriously at that point. Siri was still problematic and didn't really do everything he asked it to. Well, still doesn't, quite frankly. I mean, I feel like we're still at the point where this is evolving dramatically, but we're getting closer and closer. And who would have expected it would be from someone like Amazon? I would have expected it to come from someone like IBM or Nuance, which is now, by the way, owned by Microsoft or will be shortly. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think part of it's just dynamic leadership, right? I mean, I'm not, and I don't like want to be, I'm not a Bezos fanboy, but like that aggressiveness is kind of like similar to like, I think he saw something in buying, uh, you know, Jamie, uh, you know, Ring, because he saw a similar type of leader. What I think hasn't become is they wanted to make it like an app, like a a voice app platform. And I I just feel like the voice or the skills haven't never really kind of fulfilled their, the vision. I feel like, I feel like skills are okay, but I feel like it's hard for the creators of skills to monetize. Part of it is just the virtue of the fact that voice apps are hard to remember. I do think the multimodal combination of like an echo show is a better thing. I, I think that's why they've been pushing those and at such a low price point is, Voice is powerful, but if you combine voice and video and that, those video reminders, that's a really powerful thing. But I still feel like there's so much potential in voice skills that really haven't hasn't really been fulfilled. Yeah, I would agree that you know there's you know as far as we've come in uh, you know in the seven years, uh, there's still so much for innovation to occur and so many places this can go. And uh, yeah, I would agree with you, Mike, too. I, I really like my Echo Show that we have in the kitchen, which I think in the kitchen is a great place for a screen device. Uh, in fact, I, I just had a, a friend who bought his first home and I gave him an Echo Show and, and some uh, Lutron Cassetta light switches as a housewarming present. So I think I want to see more people do more with, with screens in, in those voice devices because I think it's definitely got a lot of utility. I would agree. I think there's enormous opportunity. I think, you know, I've always been a big fan of the screen device, the screen controller. I still have a screen in my wall. I actually like that a lot. I wish I could have an assistant on it, quite frankly. Like, uh, certainly you have Siri, but Siri doesn't really give good visual answers and it's not integrated in any sort of dashboard the same way that, say, Google Home is. Uh, I think the Google Home experience is fantastic. The Nest Home devices that make Google Assistant available to you now, I think those are similarly really powerful. And it's interesting. I don't quite know how far it will ultimately go, but it's been interesting to see Amazon. And now I believe Google is also going to be doing this, experimenting with a 10-foot interface with their assistant on televisions. So that if you call up the weather or if you call up the doorbell or whatever else, it actually gives you a a visual indicator kind of like you would have on one of those multimodal devices. Or it'll search for something random on Google and then you'll yell at it because it gets it wrong. Which one's more likely? We'll find out. Well, I mean, I will say, I don't know what your experience is these days. You know, every once in a while, Adam, you and I touch base on this, but in my experience of all of the assistants, I still find Google to be 
the best. It it understands me the best, and it comes up with the best answers almost every single time. I actually, I'm using Google less for one reason, because I gave all my Google devices to a friend. I just finally said, like, I'm not really using this. I, I do have one still for testing and things like that, but... Um, I gave the bulk of them to a friend and it was funny because I said, you know, how's your, how's your Google life now? And he goes, I don't know if it's cause now that I have more of them, I'm using them more, but he's like, I, I feel like I'm running into more issues. So I kind of wonder if, if like some of this, you know, we're more happy with it cause we don't use it as much, but if you really <laughs> went all in, you would be just as frustrated with it. So that was an interesting uh, perspective from him. Interesting point. Mike's what, what's your thought on that i think you're right richard i I think google just gives better responses and this is from a person who largely uses apple devices i i but when i'm driving it's maps but like i try to use google apps whenever i can i think it's just i think they're just better at search and i think it's voice questions are, are tied into the search search algorithms and the database and understanding it just works better amazon i feel like still is clunky it was like the great idea of Alexa and Echo and with this physical voice assistant, great. I just feel like Alexa hasn't matured that much since it came out. I still think uh, HomePods, from a hardware perspective, ha- like have the best recognition and um, definitely from like the furthest away. But I would probably agree with you in terms of actually getting what you say that Google's probably one of the one of the top. I still think kind of along the lines of what Mike was saying, but without actually saying her name, that Amazon's platform from a developer's perspective still requires you to identify the exact words that someone is permitted to say to initiate a command. And as a result, I think it's ultimately significantly less useful and forgiving in terms of being able to remember and know and get the response you want for you know throwing a command out in the dark. It will get better. It will definitely get better. I think another thing that we've seen more recently is that bridges are propagating and hubs are going away. Like we ended up in this world where, okay, maybe we don't need as many of these big boxes of radios as we had before. Maybe they're not as useful now that we're starting to get some more standards. But some of the remaining standards, like Bluetooth, like to the extent that Z-Wave is a standard and, and Zigbee is a standard, still need something to bridge them to your network. Yeah, I don't know that that's going to change either. I mean, even with the promise of things going on with chip and threat more thread and stuff like that you're still going to need you know devices to communicate along the way and you know one of the things you know as a manufacturer when you're kind of making the calculus of this is if you're planning on having many of these in one location it's always more cost efficient to put cheaper radios in all your end devices and a device like a bridge that talks to them instead of investing in you know high dollar radios in every end point device. So I don't see that trend necessarily going away, but maybe it just becomes a little more standard and you don't need so many proprietary bridges. I remember like five years ago, we were talking about, does it be, does, does Wi-Fi get low power enough to where 
everything can move on to it. And I, I still feel like there's hope for that vision. I mean, I just bought a smart walk, right? And I bought the Schlage encode for a rental home we have. And this is by far the most reviewed best, like all the Airbnb folks are moving to the Schlage encode. It's the only really good smart lock with Wi-Fi. Everything else is basically Bluetooth or, or Z-Wave or Zigbee, but the battery life works well. And this is a battery powered device. And you know, you get six months on this with Wi-Fi. I know that like, obviously really low power things like tiles will never be that, but like, I still feel like the more and more the world's going to move to Wi-Fi. Yeah. I don't know. I get a year out of the battery life of my Bluetooth lock, but I agree with you. The encode is awesome. But if a Wi-Fi lock is way more range and yes. it's just Wi-Fi is better than Bluetooth. Yeah. No, I, if it's supported a uh, home kit, I would already have an encode in my door. Uh, that's the one thing that keeps me from doing it, but I have a lot of good things to say about that device. But yeah, I mean, I do think that makes sense. And on a premium device, like a, like a smart lock, absolutely. You can justify the cost of Wi-Fi. Also the cost of Wi-Fi, you know, over the seven years you've been doing it, you, you know, since you started the show has way plummeted. So it's, it's more and more affordable to put Wi-Fi in devices. So yeah, I think it's getting there. It's just going to matter. What does this device need? And, uh, you know, what are those priorities? Richard, is, does Wi-Fi become more and more important, more dominant? I think it's inevitable. I don't like that idea. And I don't like that idea because I don't feel that most homeowners' routers are going to be capable of managing the number of devices that people are going to have in their homes with their own IP addresses, whether that's, you know, a 255 limit that was put on there just to make the implementation easier, or I've seen devices with a hundred IP address limit, which is really just an arbitrary developer decision, or maybe something having to do with the capacity of the hardware itself. I also think that the experience that those router devices offer is terrible. And trying to find some random IoT device in your home based on what little information is available in your router can be really challenging, even with high-end systems like Unify and stuff like that. So I don't know. I think it's inevitable. I just don't think that the infrastructure that's there is going to make it easy. And that concerns me a little bit. I wish that the service provider would invest in greater interfaces for their routers, right? I mean, it's probably a conversation about it, the, the service provider. But I mean, I don't know if you guys are using Eero, but I just, I look at my Eero app all the time. I love it. Like I see what devices are connected to which, which one. Maybe I'm a nerd, but I just love the control of it. And I, I can name every app. I know what room it's in. I know what access point it's on. And uh, Eero's no because it's 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 mesh. But I, what I love about it is just the app control. I've never had app control of my router before like this. I'm all in on Eero too. And I guess my comment to what Richard was saying is like, you know, if people are making the kind of investments we're talking about in smart home devices, like I like their chances of also upgrading their infrastructure along the way. Obviously, like you mentioned, Mike, sometimes your people don't know to do that or to separate and they just use what their provider gets them. 
I think the provider side is also getting better. You know, there are some mesh offerings from some providers or, you know, ways to augment that. The thing I've seen on the provider side that I don't like is this, uh, you know, BS about, you know, where they're charging per device. So they're like, oh, this is a place where we can earn more money. So we're going to charge you on your internet based on how many devices you had. So, you know, that I'm not crazy about, you know, usually anybody that gets, you know, I have their ear about technology. I immediately tell them to buy all your own stuff, buy your own cable modem, buy your own, you know, Wi-Fi stuff. And, and Eros usually my go-to recommendation as well. So I, I want to kind of wrap up with what I hope is a hopeful point. And that's that we've d- danced around this a little bit. The project chip, the industry consortium that is working on a standard kind of to be all standards, all the major players are involved in this pretty much all. And what we're seeing is coming out slower than we would have liked or expected. But I mean, come on, we waited how many years for thread? So if it takes a little bit longer to get this right, I'm more in favor of it getting right than getting out early. And this potentially offers not just consumers, but developers and manufacturers a much easier path to adoption of smart home technology. And I I think there is so much opportunity there. I don't know. Am I being naive? Am I just trying to think that this is the thing that's going to come in and save us after all those before it, the IoT consortium, all join, all of the different groups with all of their different acronyms and initialisms that have failed before them? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a question. I don't know, Richard. I would say I still remain hopeful and I want to believe. We'll go Ted Lasso on that one. Believe. Believe in Chip. (laughs) Um, So, you know, if it was one of the major people in this space or even two of the major folks in this space, I would be on, on Mike's side of this. But the fact that all the major players in this space came together and are working on this. Now, we don't know to what extent are they actually really working on this. Is it name only? Did they just want the big logo there? Or are they really all supporting this and going to do what it takes? I guess that remains to be seen. Yeah, I mean, in all fairness, we can tell even in the code repositories just how much direct contribution different companies have had. And most of the big ones seem to be pretty damn involved. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think that gives me hope and they needed to do something. And I think if we're going to get to where the industry needs to be, this has to succeed. So let's hope that Chip is the savior of what, what we always wanted of something more unifying and, you know, something that really takes the industry to the, the next step of where it needs to go. I mean, I think like if everyone saw and look back, like what the IEEE did for networking in the 90s and the early 2000s and how that unleashed like this huge amount of enterprise productivity. And then you saw all the internet standards. 
I think the smart one for the last 10 years has been all these big players trying to kind of win with these semi-agenda-driven attempts. And maybe now they're realizing, like, we can all, you know, the tide can rise all boats if we all kind of collaborate. And so I figure they're they're at the stage where they realize the smart home is a service platform. We can all make a lot of money. Everyone can succeed, but we need to work together. All right. See, I thought you were going to take us out on a down note, but you didn't. That's <laughs> that's a. I think that's a really good place to wrap up. But before we do that, I did just want to thank you again for your legacy with the show and all of the educating that you've done of these listeners. And even for Adam and me, we've both learned a lot from you and are a lot better for knowing you. And uh, we thank you for everything and glad we can continue to carry on your legacy. Well, thanks for having me back. And the show is in great hands. I think people every week listen or every couple of weeks, depending on when you guys get them out, uh, listen to you guys who love this stuff. Adam's working on the stuff every day. I think the, Richard, you are just a true, true. I've, I've, I remember you get embarrassed by how much I, I tell you what a great podcast you are, but I just felt like you're always just been so great. You explain things so well. So you guys are doing a great job and I appreciate you guys continuing the show. Well, thank you very much. All right. Well, normally this time we would like to answer a listener question but once again we don't have listener questions to be honest we haven't done a very good job of trying to solicit them actively either but adam how could people potentially send us questions yeah they can tweet us with the hashtag ask smart home show and then we would answer it here so maybe maybe in the near future we'll get some of these they could also potentially send us questions through our feedback email address, which is feedback at smarthome.fm. That works too. And um, speaking of contacts, Mike, where can people find you and the work that you do? Just find me on Twitter, Michael Wolf, and spending a lot of my time these days at The Spoon, our website, uh, just thespoon.tech. And yeah, that's where you can find me. How about your podcast? Don't you want to promote your podcast too? Oh, you should totally do that. And there's a podcast. And by the way, I got to get Adam. Have we gotten Richard on Clubhouse yet? Or are you? I'm surprised, Richard. I don't think you've shown up yet. But it's you know, it's one more thing, Mike. It's just it's one more thing. Yeah, it's one more thing. You wanted me to try Anchor too, and I'm glad I resisted. So <laughs> you know, we'll see where this goes. <laughs> I agree. Like I feel like people are, are kind of getting busy, and that the. the a lot of the amount of people on there are going down, but what I've actually liked for is just recording live podcasts. So yep. I mainly just use it for recording podcasts. So we'll have to try it sometime. Adam, where can people find you? Uh, everybody can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice and uh, find everything my company is up to at ConnectSense.com. How about you, Richard? You can find me at Richard Gunther and you can find my writings and other shows at TheDigitalMediaZone.com. And of course, the Smart Home Show is part of Technology.fm, which is a collection of tech podcasts that Mike helped pull together that includes Home Tech FM, The Food Tech Show, and Home On, my other show. 
And you can find our show notes, which I finally updated at smarthome.fm if you're looking for links or information about this and any other episode. Find us in all the usual places, Apple, Google, Overcast, anywhere where you listen to podcasts. And do us a real favor. If you like what you hear, let someone else know so that they can follow our podcast. (laughs) Thanks for listening.